Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word with eagerness and conviction that in it we will find words for life. May indeed we find it and love it and find our happiness therein. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. How do we get to happy? Where is the road for you from where you are to happy, to happy land? I saw recently on, video, on YouTube a video of the expression of people when they were fitted with a hearing device that enabled them for the very first time to hear, hear a voice, hear a sound, hear a word. And it was beautiful to see there was about 20 different, ranging in age from quite a, a small child to an older person and their look of joy and happiness and discovery and some of them looked anxious. It was such a new experience. Is that what we're after? That sense of happiness? I think it is. I think that's what God wants for us. I think that's what we'll find in our psalm this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 1. And graduates, to you I wish the best of luck on your new endeavor as you embark on the new stage of your career, your quest. What is it you're questing after? Do you know? When I was your age, I didn't know. I was still sorting it out, thinking it through. Responding to everybody else who had an idea of what I should be doing, where I should be going. Pushed along and uh, asked to regurgitate facts and figures as I was thinking about it. And it was interesting to me in the, what I've read about brain research is that that part of the brain that makes those kinds of decisions doesn't really get developed until your early 20s. So parents, let's uh, take it easy on our kids. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 1 if you'd like to follow along in your bullets and I'd be grateful. Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, has written a book called The Case for the Psalms that talks about uh, the rich treasure we have and that this has been a part of the Christian church down through the ages, one of the most accessible parts, one of the most practical ways to develop our faith, our theology, and our devotion. And he asks that it not be seen just as a liturgical filler between the Old Testament and the epistle, which is what we usually preach on. Psalm the Psalms are such a treasure trove. In Psalm 1, which doesn't have a heading, most of the Psalms have an inscription at the top. Psalm 1 doesn't because some people think that Psalm 1 is the inscription for the whole book of Psalms. So a lead in. It's like the great door of a whole building. And, he, and uh, one of the commentators says the Holy Spirit is like the key to our understanding. Psalm 1 much like the wisdom literature, kind of gives us two choices. So it's pretty black and white. There's this way, and there's this way. It's just sort of like Robert Frost's poem, you know it? Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, etc., etc. Many times life gives us two choices. One of the first books written after the New Testament was a book called The Teaching of the Twelve, or it's known as the Didache, and it begins, there are two ways. One of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. So Psalm 1, if you have it before you, then we'll look at that briefly. It's an invitation. An invitation to, to come in, to participate, to develop that kind of relationship with God. So what we have here are, are three stanzas. The first two verses and then verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 go together. The first word is happy. God wants you to be happy. But what does happy mean for you? What does happy mean for God? 
Some of the older translations translated it, blessed be the person who does this. But there's another Hebrew word for that. This is a distinct word, ashrei, from the word where we get the name asher, to be happy. It's also the word in the Greek that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The Beatitudes begin with this Greek word, makarios. So happy, and then it's going to show you three things that to be happy, three things we don't do, two things we should do. Happy are those who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. I don't think these are just necessarily postures or progressions from walking and standing and sitting, but rather the perspective that we develop on our own life and on the world. So he says, happy are those who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked. I don't think here he means those who are aggressively and articulately against God or against Christianity, but rather those who have just discounted God, ignored him, left him out of the equation. And anyone good at math knows what happens when you leave an element out of the equation. It's very much like in the gospel reading where Jesus says over and over again, you are not of the world. Holy Father, protect them. He says, I am leaving the world, but you are in the world. And he ends by saying, just as the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. So while we're not of the world to take our marching orders, we are called to march into the world to be a blessing, to make a difference. But more than that, I think, it's about who we listen to to tell us who we are. Do we listen to the media and the culture and the world? Or do we listen to God? We'll come to that in a minute. Augustine of Hippo uh, translates the, the word for scornful as pestilence. A pestilence. And he refers it to pride or wrong doctrine or worldly allurement. All as an act of a disease or a pestilence from which the human race cannot extract itself or save itself. That is what God must do. Someone has said that we don't break God's commandments. We are broken on them when we don't keep them. Verse 2, their delight then, those are the three things we don't do. What are the two things we do do? Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. Now, delighting, it's a wonderful phrase, delighting in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord can mean the whole scriptures or can mean one counsel. It's got a whole range of meanings. This first psalm, Psalm 1, was Jerome, St. Jerome's favorite psalm. And he loved that line, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. But Jerome found it impossible to delight in the Lord when he was in the midst of the flesh pots of Rome, all the delights that were on offer there. And so in 385, he moved to Bethlehem and he found refuge in a grotto where by tradition, Jesus was born. If you go there today to the scene of the nativity, right adjacent to it are the caves that Jerome lived in for many years. And while he was there then, he was able to meditate and delight on the Psalms, on the law of God. And while he was there, also translated the whole of the scriptures into Latin. Do you delight in God's word? Sometimes for me, reading the Bible is 
a rather onerous obligation, not quite understanding it, not quite having the time I need to read it through and think about it, not quite having the time to consult the authorities. And I need to change my heart to see it as a love letter from God, a word from him to bring me happiness. God delights in me. I need to delight in him and in his word. And then there's the word meditation. And on his law, he meditates day and night. A consideration of what's there. Taking the time to soak in it, to savor it, to meditate on it, digest it, mull it over. But the Reformation scholar Erasmus reminded his readers that the Latin verb also had a stronger sense to plan and devise and practice, to rehearse. And if you go to Psalm 2, the second line of Psalm 2 is, why do the wicked plot in vain? That's the same Hebrew word. One psalm it's translated meditate and the other is plot. Just as the wicked plot out their strategy, do we as followers of the light in the kingdom, do we plot out how to live out these truths that we embrace? Because belief is something that we embrace. It's not like a puzzle that we finally sorted out with our mind, a cognitive thing. It's not like some improbable, miraculous thing we finally convinced ourselves that could be true. But a decision, a direction, a resolve to follow something. Apparently in the old pioneer days going across the prairies and it was often mud. There, apparently some wag had put up a sign, choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it for the next hundred miles. So we have three things to avoid and two things to embrace. And then we come to the center of the psalm to show what the people are like who follow these different ways. There's a tree and there's a chaff. In Hebrew, they sound very much alike. They are like trees planted by streams of water bearing fruit in due season with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. It is not so with the wicked. They are like chaff which the wind blows away. Responding to God, following him, delighting in his word, meditating, should lead us to that sense of stability represented by the tree, that groundedness, that rootedness, that fruitfulness, bearing fruit, having leaves that provide shade as opposed to chaff. Chaff is such a sense of instability, of non-being. I often wondered why young people today have such a fragile sense of their self-worth. And I'm wondering if it was always like that or if we've lost something in our teaching of children to communicate to them that their value is in being made in the image of God. And if we've not reinforced that enough and so their sense of self becomes so fragile they feel invisible or they need constant affirmation and stroking. They're like chaff if they don't uh, sink their roots into the word of God and the truth there. It's interesting, the tree, they're like the tree. Now, if you were to read the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, it says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Very much parallel to what's been written in Psalm 1 is what happens, what is there in heaven. And if you think back to the very first of the Bible, 
We have those trees in the garden, the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That idyllic state in the Garden of Eden, the state from which we were banished and cursed because of our disobedience. And in the law it says, whoever hangs on a tree is cursed, which we see as a reference to Jesus hanging on the cross. And so that cross becomes for us a tree of life to overcome the curse, to reestablish us in life, which we remember when we gather around the table. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross brings us life and is life. And then just to, to finish up, therefore the wicked in the last two verses, the wicked shall not stand upright when the judgment comes, nor sinners in the counsel of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. There's lots of interesting stuff here. I feel like we could preach a sermon series on this psalm. But you notice that the word counsel begins at the beginning of the psalm, the counsel of the wicked. And now at the end of the psalm, we have the counsel of the righteous in which the wicked will not stand. It's counsel spelled two different ways. Interestingly enough, it's the same word in the Greek. But let's look at verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. I think our true happiness, which our psalm began with, comes not from what we know, but who knows us. In this ascension period, it's a funny celebration, ascension, because you remember Jesus went back to heaven. It's tempted to feel orphaned, as we sang in the hymns this morning. Where is he? He's not here. And I was thinking about that. I thought, how much of the world today feels abandoned by God, forgotten, that they have no connection? And I think that we who know Christ went for a specific purpose to come back are called to reach out with that wonderful truth that while we don't see him, he sees us. While we may not know him, he knows us. And when we encounter periods of stress and anxiety and trouble, we remember that while we don't see him, he knows us. So may God give us grace. The word know, to know, is a very intimate word by God. And it communicates to us our spiritual security and intimacy into which he calls us. The life which he has for us. He desires us to be happy, to know joy, but to take that as a ministry to the world to make a difference. Graduates, go on from here confident, knowing that God is with you. Knowing that he wants you to make a difference and knowing that we can do it with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.